Welcome to VHS. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Cassie. Each week on VHS, we watch and discuss, sometimes for the first time, the top-grossing film from that week 21 years prior, what's changed about our viewing experience, and what hasn't. But that's not what we're doing this week. Nope. It's been a, it's been a minute. It's been a little bit since we recorded an episode. Mm. Um, we, you know, it was the holidays. We had some sickness, some travel, some new Life. babies. Life happened, you know. <laughs> Pretty much any excuse you would use to get out of something <laughs> is what, what But they happened. they weren't actually excuses. They actually No, they were they were real. But um we we didn't miss a whole lot. The number one grossing movie for December through January 1995-1996 was Toy Story. <laughs> um so we were keeping up with this by watching a bunch of number 2s. Uh, just not, not actually recording episodes about it. <laughs> so we're going to do do some lightning rounds, cover a few of these movies and let you know, uh, let you know if you should watch them. We're going to sort the wheat from the chaff, mm. decide if these movies really were number twos. Number two. Number one. <laughs> Waiting to exhale. So Waiting to Exhale debuted at number one on December 22nd, 1995, the Friday before Christmas. So that's what people felt like seeing <laughs> right before Christmas, I guess. Interesting um, choice. I've heard a lot of Jewish families go to the movies on <laughs> Christmas. Uh, maybe that's who was watching <laughs> Waiting to Exhale. Maybe just trying to experience something different. Christmas I time. guess. Well, it is. Yeah, you want to watch a movie about four women who live in Arizona. <laughs> in the desert. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, but whatever, you know, whatever some marketing or distribution exec was thinking when they decided to release this at Christmas time, I guess it was a good idea because it grossed over $14 million that weekend. And Toy Story was, was number two that week. Mm -hmm. Take that, toys. Well, they came back, like, right away. Oh. <laughs> this movie was directed by Forrest Whitaker. That that Forrest Whitaker, like last king of Scotland, Forrest Whitaker, <laughs> which I thought was a little odd until I looked at the rest of his uh, filmography as a director. And I learned that he also directed Hope Floats. Oh. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. the Sandra Bullock, Harry Connick Jr. rom-com. Uh, it's a great movie. Uh, my my stepdad calls it Turds Float, <laughs> um, which <laughs> different different opinions on that one. <laughs> I can still appreciate his opinion. <laughs> so looking forward to to that one in a couple of years. But he also directed First Daughter, which stars Katie Holmes. I guess you gotta start somewhere. <laughs> but that's all he's done. Oh. It's not like he directed oh, okay. like, Ghost Dog or uh, Ghost Last King Dog. of Scotland. Isn't that one of his other movies? I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. I hope so. Yeah, it's Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. <laughs> it's directed by Jim Yarmish. It's like supposed to be really good. I legit. have not heard of that one. 
I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. And as I, I haven't seen most movies. I feel like every time I mention a movie that isn't for this show, <laughs> I haven't seen it. Add it to the list. But I'm defending it as being better than First Daughter. It probably is. Mm. Uh, there's also uh, an all-star cast. Uh, the four main ladies are Whitney Houston, Angela Bassett, Loretta Devine, and Lila Rashawn. Uh, secondary characters are played by Wesley Snipes, his second appearance on this show. Mm. Uh, Donald Faison, who's on Scrubs later. Gregory mm-hmm. Hines. Um, there are a lot of shitty boyfriends in this movie, and two of them are played by Dennis Haysbert. Who's who's he, Cassie? He's the Allstate guy. Uh-huh. And Mike Kelty Williamson, who's best known for playing Bubba in Forrest Gump. Yay. So, but not enough. Not in this movie. They're both terrible. They're real shitheads. Mm -hmm. Different kinds of shitheads, but shitheads nonetheless. Yeah. Because the dating landscape, especially for professional African-American women in their 30s, is pretty rough. Seems like it. In the Phoenix area. Mm -hmm. And probably everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, the plot of this, it's based on a best-selling novel by Terry McMillan. Uh, who also wrote How Stella Got Her Groove Back. Uh, I haven't seen that one. I haven't either, but I'm looking forward to it because it stars Angela Bassett, who mm-hmm. who's great. my favorite part of this movie. Yeah. Plot is pretty simple, pretty basic. Four African-American women deal with the trials of love, family, careers, and friendship. Uh, that's, yeah, that's, it's, that's about it. Yeah, there's some <laughs> character acting, not really a major plot a bunch of different plots it's it's a book adaptation Mm -hmm. i'm sure it's a better book than it is a movie but anyway Mm -hmm. it's got a 52 percent with critics on rotten tomatoes but a 79 percent overall so one of those movies that speaks to audiences more than it does to critics yeah so i think for for this lightning episode what we should do is just, on the count of three, we both say at the same time whether we would recommend our audience watch this movie. Okay? Okay, let's do it. All right. One, two, three. Yes. Yes. All right. Were you just saying that because I said it? No. Me? No. Okay. All right. Um, I'm, I'm a little surprised to hear it from you. I didn't think, because we watched this movie together. And I didn't think you enjoyed it that much. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, you've been thinking about it and rewatching it, haven't you? <laughs> it's it's kind of boring, but I think it's still worth watching, and mostly for the reason that you already listed, which is Angela Bassett. All right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. God, she's amazing. She's she's got. Maybe the best character, which helps, but she's also just luminous. I agree, which which is sad because I think when I was younger, I really only recall Whitney Houston. Yeah, I, well, I, she she's was a huge star. Yeah, but she's a terrible actress. <laughs> yeah, she's especially up against those other women. She and the men. She yeah. falls really flat. She's not really an actress. She's no. got a beautiful voice. She's mm-hmm. a lovely, she's got a gorgeous face. Mm-hmm. Not much of an actress. Mm-hmm. 
And her but, character was kind of a nothing, too. Yeah, nothing really happened with her other than, I guess, realizing her boyfriend sucks. I think... All right, so here's my history with this, with the waiting to exhale in general. I don't think I've ever seen the movie before this, aside from the epic scene where Angela Bassett puts her ex's stuff in his car and lights it on fire. Oh, yeah. Which is a gif I use on a weekly basis. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I did um, read the book. When I was like eleven years old, what did you read? <laughs> it's, it's not an appropriate book for children. No, it's not. Um, did you like understand everything that was happening? <laughs> well, not as well as I would have understood it as a grown woman. <laughs> uh, this is going to be a recurring theme throughout this show. There are a lot of things I read as books um, that my mom just had around the house on the shelf and mm. I really like to read a lot. Mm. So I would pick them up and learn some stuff about life. <laughs> um, stuff about how compromising on <laughs> your mate's attractiveness could be lucrative. <laughs> I remember that scene from the book. I think most of what I remember from the books is the scene, our, our scenes with Robin. The mm-hmm. The younger prettiest. one. I, yeah. I can't remember if she's supposed to be younger than the others. It, it, she definitely is in mm-hmm. the movie. And Loretta Devine's character is definitely older than the others. But how do they all know each other? I was just going to say the same thing. I, I Well, I think they Were know. Were they sorority sisters? What's their I deal? I think they all go to Loretta Devine's uh, salon to get their hair yeah, did. they I, do. I don't know if they knew each other before that because... I don't know why they would why else they would all be friends. No. Um I think I think uh Whitney Houston's character whose name I don't remember and Angela Bassett's character whose name I don't remember. <laughs> um I think those two are like better friends than the others. Yeah. Which makes kind of sense. I don't know, it seems like now and then also had that dynamic, which is really, really common in groups of four friends where it really splits into two sets of best friends. Yep, yep. Which, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's true in real life. Mm. I don't think I've ever, I don't think since like middle school I've been part of a group of four name friends. Yeah, not four, maybe three. I don't know. Yeah, but it works in fiction. Sure. Um, But there's a lot of stuff in Robin's sections of the book about sex and about anatomy and Mm. how it feels to be engaged in intercourse with the obese, sweaty man. Oh, that sounds like Mm. a fun read. (laughs) (laughs) Gripping. (laughs) Great, great choice of word. (laughs) <laughs> I think there is some gripping going on in those scenes. There's also a scene where um she's in a sauna and she's thinking about her own boobs and how what? they remind her of cantaloupes. <laughs> so <laughs> the scene that stands out most to me from this movie after the badass car burning scene um is just a pan out where there's a cantaloupe sitting on someone's windowsill. Because I 
think that's some boob imagery. <laughs> I think it is too, considering most people don't keep their cantaloupes on the windowsill. Well, when you want to ripen a cantaloupe, there's no better place. But then you have to worry about hobos stealing it. Are you there? Sorry. <laughs> My uh, headphones started beeping for some reason. Does it need batteries? No, it's plugged in. Which is weird. Hmm. Hmm. The thought police are coming to stop you from thinking about boob cantaloupes. <laughs> alert, alert. <laughs> oh, sorry. All right, where do we leave off? I don't know. <laughs> I You said, why would you keep your cantaloupes in the window? And I said, if you want to ripen them, there's, <laughs> that's what you have to do. And you didn't say anything. And then I said, <laughs> but then you have to worry about hobos stealing your cantaloupes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just just Which leave. Which is really funny. It's too bad you didn't laugh. <laughs> just leave it in there, and then the and whole then... thing. Like, are you there? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> you should. And <laughs> just end it. Yeah. If it sounds really weird, then you could just cut to this this part of me laughing. <clears throat> Of course, then you have to worry about hobos stealing your cantaloupes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there aren't any hobos in this movie, but there are a lot of other uh, entertaining elements. So on the whole, I would say if you want to see a... Mm, so if you want to see a slice of mid-90s life with a nice pastel and nude color scheme mm -hmm. and a lot of very famous people in pretty interesting roles eh, just give it a try hmm. yeah maybe you just want to shoop 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 this is going to be impossible to line up on our, yep. on our audio track <laughs> <laughs> anyway Movie number two, 12 Monkeys. Insert gong noise. <laughs> I feel like for our lightning round, you did should did, did insert lightning. Oh, yeah. Every yeah, time yeah. you say lightning. I haven't said lightning <laughs> anymore <laughs> the first time. Anyway. <clears throat> 12 Monkeys. So 12 Monkeys debuted in wide release on January 5th, 1996 at number one and grossed $13.6 million that weekend. Wow. It was mm -hmm, so a little less than, uh, than Waiting to Exhale and a whole lot less than Toy Story, but respectable. Mm -hmm. It was directed by Terry Gilliam, who's uh, best known. Well, I mean, he's a famous director. He's di also directed Brazil. Um and some more recent stuff that's pretty good. But he also got his start famously as the animator on um, Monty Python's Flying Circus, mm -hmm. the, the Monty Python troupe, that really weird, distinctive animation. Was he ever in any of the Mighty Monty Python things? Uh, he did stuff now and then. He wasn't one of the prime actors, mm -hmm. but he... Um, he appears from time to time when they need more people. Mm. He, he looked familiar, and I don't know why I would ever have 
seen his face otherwise. Yeah, he's um I mean he pops up now and then. <laughs> um he's the only American in Monty Python. Oh. But uh Twelve Monkeys also stars well, stars Bruce Willis, Madeline Stowe, Brad Pitt, and Christopher Plummer. But um Brad Pitt is like the main reason to watch it, right? Mm, probably, yeah. I uh, I read an interview with Terry Gilliam where he said that studio executives pretty much said exactly that to him. Like, wow! Everyone was surprised the movie was a big hit, but it wasn't because he was a good director or it Aww. was a good plot. It was just because everyone wanted to feast their eyes on that tasty, tasty Brad Pitt. Body. <laughs> Acted like an insane person. <laughs> Ain't nothing sexier than a crazy guy. I mean, he's pretty. He's pretty hot in mm-hmm. this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I like Bruce Willis. I I love Bruce Willis. He's great. Do you mean you like him like because of his personality, or you like him to look at? Mm, a little bit of both. Mostly the personality, though. I think they. They augment each other. Well, his personality makes him cuter than he yeah. would be. He's a little not not a bad looking man. He's a little lumpy. He's got a lumpy face. Well, I think it's I mean, just it's part of being yeah. bald. I think. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's got one of those faces where, um, this is actually something that he was uh, he and Terry Gilliam discussed when they were working on the movie because it's. <laughs> very different from a lot of things Bruce Willis has done. You know, he always plays like a rough and tumble cop mm-hmm. or a boxer, mm-hmm. something like that, or whatever he was doing. And look who's talking. I guess that was a, that was a departure <laughs> too. God. Or a baby. He's always playing something rough and lumpy. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> rough and lumpy. Mm. Uh, but this is a more intellectual movie, uh, more of a thinker. Um, a little bit. So yeah. he was working against some stereotypes and had to work very hard on his performance. <laughs> this interview I read with Gilliam, he, in two separate places, said how hard Bruce Willis worked and how hard Brad Pitt works worked which to me said these guys aren't great actors but they worked really hard Aww. so i have to give them props for that they tried that could just, that could just be me reading into it because i think <laughs> bruce willis is a pretty good actor yeah you know he, he um, does his thing and so does brad pitt really i mean he's not a fantastic actor either no he's not yeah I mean, we talked about this when we did when we talked about seven but yeah they they both did a good enough job that I enjoyed their performances in this. It didn't take away from the story. Mm-hmm. I think everything everything came together well. Mm-hmm. 12 Monkeys is a full-length adaptation of La Jetée, which is a pretty famous um, black and white short film from 1962. And um, I, I was really surprised when I learned that because I've actually, I saw La Jetée in mm-hmm. grad school and didn't did like didn't piece it together at all. Oh. Um well, maybe I would have after I saw 12 Monkeys, but it's just really unexpected. Yeah, I didn't even know that that existed. The only reason I know it existed is because I went to grad school in a program that was way too focused on like postmodern film. 
It's uh, not anything I would have chosen to mm-hmm. know about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's pretty pretty cool. It's all told through still photos. Hmm. Un- until and until I was researching for this uh, this podcast, I thought that jeté meant jump because like ballerinas have that jeté move. Ah. Um, and I thought it was like because it was so disjointed and was jumping back and forth in time and jumping from still photo to still photo. Mm-hmm. No, no, <laughs> no, no, you're jeté, wrong. <laughs> jeté means jetty. What I thought had meaning does not. Oh, I, I'm bad at French, but I thought that jeté was like to to leave or something. I don't know. Oh, like J E T E R. Yeah, yeah. That would make sense because you would you would leave via a jetty, like if you were going like a pier. Sure. Why did I have such a bad French teacher? <laughs> because <laughs> I don't know. She taught you other things, right? Important like how, things. How not to cut your bangs. <laughs> I know the word for yes. hot dog. It's Les hot, hot dog. dog. <laughs> I say we make a break for it and go get some hot dogs. Oh, bless her soul. Um, this has been a preview from our new podcast, Memories of Madame. <laughs> Madame. Uh, she's a majestic creature. Anyway, mm. <laughs> uh, the, the synopsis of this thing is uh, in the wake of a civilization-ending virus outbreak, a time traveler, that's Bruce Willis, is sent back to 1996 to prevent the virus from being released in the first place. Um, There's a lot of your classic time travel, messing around with stuff, Mm -hmm. um, messing around with the plot line, affecting your own life by changing events in the past, blah, blah, blah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's gotten 88% from both critics and overall on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's held up pretty well over time. Um, Cassie, lightning assessment. Okay. Would you would you recommend this movie to our audience? One, two, three. Yes. Yes. Okay. Good. Um, yeah. It's a good movie. Yeah, it's entertaining. <laughs> I think. Uh, so so I fell asleep during it as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, I liked it, but. Ah. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was like Friday night, and my brain couldn't couldn't work anymore yeah i don't think because i remember trying to watch it when i was younger and i don't think i had the attention span for it or cared enough to try and figure out what was going on so i just kind of lost interest and yeah yeah i don't remember even trying to watch it Uh, i would have been interested in seeing something with with brad pitt in it but um I think it had too much of the grown-up stink on it. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sure it was rented in my household, but I have no memory whatsoever of, of watching it. I really only have the memories of the, the crazy parts with, with Brad Pitt. They're like jumping around on beds, shouting? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's the most entertaining part for kids who don't really understand the concept of time travel and outbreaks and whatnot yeah it's uh, there's a lot of 
There are a lot of political themes in this movie mm-hmm. that would be entirely lost on all but the most precocious of 11-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Um, even the copious amounts of Bruce Willis butt can't <laughs> make up for that. I mean, as a 10-year-old, you don't really want to see butts. <laughs> but I did... I did enjoy the political themes. I like the idea of, it's a very 90s idea of like animal rights activists being the terrorists that bring down civilization. Mm-hmm. It's kind of quaint that that was such a, such a major movement, such a major <laughs> consideration. So what much in life was good that we could <laughs> focus on animal welfare <laughs> as a primary, primary agenda. What a simpler time. The 90s. Uh, but kinda. even so, I like the... Um, Brad Pitt has some good quotes. One of them is... Or Brad Pitt's character, Jeffrey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he says that uh, people in the past were, quote, ineffectual liberal jerk-offs. And I think that still holds true. It does. Mm. Yeah. no crying lightning round done (laughs) movie three (laughs) (laughs) do you like my my uh, auditory wizardry lightning round done (laughs) it just caught me off guard (laughs) Haven't I been doing that consistently through the whole episode? <laughs> I think so. That's how I've always talked. <laughs> Ahem. Movie three. From dusk till dawn. Oh. Uh, from dusk till dawn. Oh, so if I were to report on like the major themes of this podcast so far, I think... Top of the list would be the continuing, lingering influence of Pulp Fiction. Uh, it, it keeps coming up. Um, I don't know if Bruce Willis's very active career was still uh, the rumblings of that. Seems like he was working very steadily in yeah. more, more experimental stuff than he had mm-hmm. been doing previously. Um the the Travolta Renaissance, which we haven't touched on yet because we skipped Get Shorty, but uh, all of a sudden John Travolta's working a lot. People yeah. want to see him. Mm-hmm. Um, the like cultural dialogue being brought into plots, like we saw in uh, that movie that I forget because we both agreed that we would rather watch Reservoir Dogs. Uh, oh, yeah. Usual Suspects. Yep. That that afterthought. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but here is uh, another actual Tarantino movie of sorts. Um, number one on its opening weekend, $10.2 million, January 19th, 1996. Uh, but it quickly slid down the ranks. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> I imagine audiences looking seeing some sort of marketing with Tarantino's name splashed all over it, going to see it and saying, oh, what the hell is this? (laughs) I don't think they knew what they were getting into. 
it's hard to expect that. It, is this the first totality Robert Rodriguez film that's I like think, widely released anyway? I think so. I wish I could say that with more confidence, but I I didn't do a whole lot of research for this episode. <laughs> but it's, just gazing over IMDb, that is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. All right. So like you said, it was directed by Robert Rodriguez. The script was written by Rodriguez and Tarantino. And again, if I had done more research, I would have some useful information because I wonder if it was a total collaboration or if Tarantino like met Robert Rodriguez, said like, hey, kid, I like you. I want to work with you. Here's a script that I wrote half of. You can finish it however you want. I don't care. Maybe. Because <laughs> it, it seems very much like that. Yeah, there's definitely two halves to this movie. Yeah, Tar- Tarantino's, uh, you know, that's a lot of Pulp Fiction is just slices of different stories that all weave in together at the end. Mm-hmm. This is more extreme than that. <laughs> there's there's not a lot of weaving. It just kind of happens. <laughs> there's a really visceral transition. Yes. You can pinpoint when you are in the second half of this movie without <laughs> looking at the timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> actually, when we were watching... Um, I was watching with Phil and I had watched like the first 45 minutes by myself up until I got to the part where they arrive in Mexico. <laughs> and then I turned it off because I had to go do other stuff um, later that evening. Phil was home and I was like, hey, you want to watch this movie with me? I've already watched 40 minutes of it. But <laughs> honestly, I don't think that's important nope. for you to see to appreciate nope. this the rest of this movie. It's not. I was a very <laughs> right <laughs> when they walk into the club. Uh, Phil was like, because it's like such a huge set piece, and they spend so much time like spanning over everyone who's there and the decor and all of that. And Phil said, "I have a feeling that this is going to be a very important setting in this movie." <laughs> you are dead on. <laughs> so I gather neither of you had seen it before. No, I knew what the premise was. Oh, <laughs> Phil had <okay>. no idea. <laughs> Unsuspecting, innocent. <laughs> he was he was surprised. <laughs> so another reason I'm sure this was a big draw is that it stars George Clooney, who was uh, uh you know, on the covers of all the magazines with his handsome face and his iconic haircut because he was on ER. Mm, um, I forgot about that. About him being on ER? Yeah. Mm, it was the kingmaker of a series. It was, yeah. I actually thought this was Clooney's first movie role uh, until I checked IMDb and saw that he played a character billed only as lip-syncing transvestite in a 1992 movie called The Harvest. I think we need to find that and watch it. (laughs) Yeah, it's worth a shot if it still exists. (laughs) We'll do a special episode. Mm, At at, uh, harvest time. (laughs) It also actually features Tarantino in an acting role as George Clooney's brother. (laughs) Believable. (laughs) Harvey Keitel, a young Juliette Lewis, 
um, a brief but memorable appearance by Salma Hayek as Santanico Pandemonium. Mm. And uh, there are supporting roles for, uh, for Danny Trejo, best known perhaps for Machete and being in like half of the movies that exist. <laughs> uh, all Robert Rodriguez movies. All Robert R- Rodriguez. There's a movie coming out called Machete in Space. <laughs> I need to see that. <laughs> I haven't seen any other Machete movie, but Machete in Space, yeah. Oh, Machete kills in space. Oh. <laughs> of course he does. What What else is he going to do? I don't know. Ma- Machete's got to do what Machete's got to do. Um... <laughs> uh, so Danny Trejo's in it. Cheech Marin in three different roles. <laughs> Delightful, as always. The first time they showed him, I thought I, I thought it was Cheech Marin. And then when I saw him play his second role, <laughs> I thought, oh, how racist of me. That wasn't <laughs> Cheech Marin earlier. Do I think all Mexicans look like Cheech Marin? <laughs> but then he played a third role, and I felt a little better about myself. <laughs> I'm not sure why they couldn't get other guys to do it. But I'm glad they didn't, because I like Cheech Marin. Yeah. Like, why bother? Yeah. If he's perfect for the role, he's perfect for the role. Mm-hmm. And then I proudly said, that's the Chihuahua from Oliver and Company. <laughs> that's, that's true. A, that's a deep inside joke. <laughs> making fun of a, making fun of one of our friends. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also a few other characters who are played by actors from some classic um Classic movies of the 70s. You got Tom Savini, who was in Dawn of the Dead, and Fred Williamson, who was in uh, Black Caesar. He's also a football player. So mm. this shows Tarantino and Rodriguez digging deep into the movies that were influential on them when they were younger. Oh, yeah. Just to get this out of the way, the, the synopsis is, two bank robbers on the lam take a family hostage to cross the Mexican border. Then... This is a spoiler. <laughs> Oops. They wind up in a strip club full of vampires and they have to kill their way out. <laughs> uh, Many I, critics. Yeah. What? No, nope, there's no more to say about that. That's what <laughs> <Yeah>. happens. <laughs> Metacritic says when they face the bar's truly notorious clients, they're forced to team up with their hostages. But that is really inaccurate because if the clientele of this club were truly notorious i don't think they would have gone there in the first place (laughs) no (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah that's what that's one of the things we were trying to figure out like who would go to this bar like some if anyone had ever gone to the so is the idea they kill all the truckers every night and new truckers come yeah so what's like the word of mouth? Is it literally just pussy, because they pussy pussy? <laughs> That's the word. <laughs> they got big ass billboards. I guess they have a really good location for truckers. <laughs> it's all about location, and they're conveniently situated next to a bottomless pit to drop the trucks in after. It's like an Aztec temple. Yeah, or like a big ass ziggurat. Yeah. Um I don't know if that if that 
like significance is explained in subsequent from dusk till dawns i would Uh-oh. like to see a little more background about that mm, i Clearly. feel like those are just like made for tv or like straight to dvd uh sequels though right doesn't mean they don't have a lot to teach us about aztec vampire legacies <laughs> i bet it's a curse i bet you there's Probably. a curse of some sort involved here i mean when i think aztec i think vampires <laughs> <laughs> if history has taught me anything it's that all aztecs were vampires <laughs> If history has taught me anything, it's that Aztecs used to use severed heads as some sort of proto-soccer balls. <laughs> or like high alive balls. Mm-hmm. 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 That's Counts. literally the only thing I remember about pre-Columbian culture in Mexico from history class, which does not speak well at all to the education system. Mm, now. This is the wow. second time this episode that we have had good cause to talk shit about our school district. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> we don't know French. Nope. We don't know anything. I don't even know if Aztec is the right <laughs> right culture <laughs> to be referencing here. Uh, yeah, I just kind of pulled that one out. It seems right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why not? Note to self. Learn more about these people. These people. <laughs> Jeez, Jenna. <laughs> I don't think there are any Aztecs around to be offended. <laughs> I don't even know if there are Aztecs around to be offended. <laughs> oh, God. So now the real question is how far back do I want to go to edit this out? Without <laughs> seeming like a colossal douche. <laughs> when did Ugh. we start going off on a tirade about <laughs> Aztecs? I might leave it all in. Okay. Um, anyway, um, it's got pretty decent ratings. It's got a, well, it's got a 52 on Metacritic, which I guess is not, not good. Uh, That's pretty fair. (laughs) It's 50% good. If it got a a 20, if it got like a, yeah, if it got a 104 for, I don't know, math. Um, (laughs) 104% of critics. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though. Yes. Saying if the second half gets a really good rating and the first half gets a really bad rating, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there we have our 52. Yeah. Um. This is an astonishingly violent movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a real yeah. violent movie. Oh, um... Lightning assessment. <laughs> Lightning assessment. Go. Should should our should our audience watch this movie? One, two, three. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> there was a hard our question mark. Fast forward in this movie. Yes. Until they see the giant flashing lights. With yes. boobs on them. The titty twisters. The titty twister. Mm-hmm. They should definitely do that. <laughs> Which is the least, <laughs> one of the least offensive things in this movie. The giant flashing titty twister sign. Yeah. See, that that's the problem with this movie. Like, the beginning part of it, it starts out as kind of like a serious, like, 
robbers movie like i don't know it's really violent and there's no humor to it really Um, until they get to the bar uh, there is humor you it's just not enough for you to balance out what else there is yeah because when um the very first scene when they're at that um they're at that convenience store Mm -hmm. with the with the clerk that dialogue is like classic tarantino it is uh, yeah. people talking in, like with way too many smart references and turns of phrase mm-hmm. for who they are um i i was really tickled and that it immediately like brings on this unjust violence yeah yeah quentin tarantino's character is a real he's horrifying it's awful and he's I a grotesque villain yeah, it's it's not funny like how grotesque he is. Uh, maybe this is where my my distaste for Quentin Tarantino's face comes from because literally I just <laughs> wanted to punch his face the whole time. I think, I think that comes from the ether. I think Quentin Tarantino has that face. He's got a punchable face. <laughs> he does. <laughs> but yeah, he's really awful. Um shooting yeah. people for no reason raping a woman and then killing her multiple times i mean he has a violent past he what a yeah there's clearly something wrong with him yeah something very wrong with him and the movie was gearing up to be extremely dark in a real way like Mm -hmm. this is real life evil not not over the top cartoonish vampire evil this is like real horrible things that people do to other people in the world for no rhyme or reason. Mm-hmm. And we've also got Harvey Keitel's character who's having a crisis of faith, mm-hmm. a very real concern that can uproot you know, people's lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we cross the border into Mexico and Woo! the real problems are revealed. <laughs> like taken beyond the beyond the liminal space into this other realm where those serious concerns about the evil that men do to other men and uh, that that's not an issue that's not an issue anymore <laughs> like we've got bigger something problems else you need to worry about and it's fucking vampires <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i guess that's kind of the genius of the movie is they take those really serious themes and then they just kind of throw them out the window and say hey all of a sudden there's vampires yeah which is that i don't think it's giving quentin tarantino and robert rodriguez too much credit to say that maybe that's the point like, yeah that's what hollywood does at mm-hmm. its best it takes these serious horrors and transforms them into something bigger and yet like and and yet easier to deal with mm. entertainment yeah yeah mm-hmm. entertainment is what it is <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's it's pretty entertaining it's very entertaining and it's like it's elemental it's it's mythic it's not on the scale of humans it's like these giant legendary archetypal monsters mm-hmm. also it's pretty funny like there's a guy who's got a, a gun shaped like a dick <laughs> on his belt buckle sex machine 
it's yeah there's there's a whole bunch of a mindless fun if you can get past all the blood and gore and people having to shoot their own family members yeah there's a lot of boobs too um I which i don't mind mm-hmm. <laughs> right there with sama you. hayek is like the most beautiful human i've ever seen in my life in this yeah. movie with the snake and everything that was how I was, many times do you think they had to do that i was dance? wondering that too like it cannot be a simple thing to just dance with a snake and she's not really a very good dancer it's not a great dance <laughs> no it's not it's not that entertaining <laughs> but i mean the bar was transfixed i don't know why she would immediately go after quentin tarantino maybe she was drawn to the evil that lurked within i think that was the implication probably it's certainly not his face no (laughs) (laughs) probably is it like this is the most evil person here i want his evil blood Mm. or is it like we've we've got all night to kill these other people but i want to make sure you die well, in, in in an interview with a vampire, Lestat does say that evildoers taste better. There we go. So I think that's a pretty solid uh, vampire source. Vampire I'll lore. Take it. Mm-hmm. I'll take it. Sure. Do we have anything else to say about this movie? Or um, any of the movies? <laughs> what about... Uh, what about... Um, Mr. Holland's Opus. Do you want to say anything about that? <laughs> it's about a man named Mr. Holland. He's got an opus. Uh, I'm, I'm frankly surprised we didn't watch that in band class at some point. I definitely saw it. I saw it with my grandparents in the theater. Oh, I've never seen it. So oh, I'm... I thought you had seen it and you thought it sucked. And that's no. why you to watch it. No. I have never seen it. I know nothing about We've it. We've been pretty unfair to Mr. Holland's opus. <laughs> We've done a grave injustice to Mr. Holland's opus. It's probably fine. I don't know. If anyone has uh, an opinion on Mr. Holland's opus, let us know. <laughs> if you think we should watch it, uh, probably still won't, but uh, <laughs> still want to hear from you. Tell us about it, and then we'll tell you to go screw. <laughs> <laughs> at <laughs> Cassie's opus. That, <laughs> that joke right there. So I think that covers it for our lightning review. I think we're going to be getting back to a regular recording schedule. Yeah. Hopefully. I would like to. It's um, February. There's nothing else going on. Yeah. It's pretty pretty lean days. So can probably count on hearing from us semi-regularly from here on out. Um, You can get your fix in between episodes. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at uh, VHS Pod. Um, You could go to Twitter. There's a a, uh, account that I never use. So knock yourself out. And um, yeah, We'll, we'll see you again next week. But... Before we leave, uh, I've got a final word. If you don't believe us about these movies, we've got a second opinion for you, courtesy of the internet. 
Take it from Metacritic user WSP2222, who gives from dusk to dawn no stars and says, Another bunch of sicko crap from Tarantino, who is one of the (laughs) sickest wackos ever to come out of Hollywood. Having Clooney in it only makes it worse, if that was possible. (laughs) Wow. the most uplifting spiritually renewing encouraging movie we fuck that <laughs> <laughs>